Ben Easter, and you're listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast, the podcast that gives you the mindsets, strategies, tips, and tricks to live your freedom and love your life. If you're here, I suspect that you have a total badass inside you, but chances are that you haven't let it play full out yet. Maybe you've been told not to, that it's too much. Maybe you've been worried about what other people will think, or maybe you just haven't made the space to shine. If any of that sounds familiar, you've come to the right place. Each week, my co-hosts and I will be exposing the lies that keep that badass chained and, more importantly, sharing the tools to help you break free and share that most authentic you with the world. So, if you want more freedom, possibility, or courage, then I'd invite you to take a deep breath, get curious, and listen carefully for your shift to freedom. Welcome back to the Shift to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Ben Easter. Today, I am so excited to have this conversation. I think this will really help you freedom seekers out there. Today, I'm talking to Natalie Cook, the CEO of Copper 8 Strategies. Uh, Welcome to the show, Natalie. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Ben. Yeah, I'm really excited to have this conversation. Um, There's so, so much of what creates freedom in the world, I think is really understanding the way that money works and how to get money working for you in your your business and in your life. And so... um, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about what you're doing over there at Copper 8? Uh, you know, let us know about the company. How, how did it come to be? And then like kind of just like super high level, what are you, what are you up to? Yeah. So how it came to be is I worked in EdTech Investments at the Gates Foundation and I wanted to switch into for-profit. I freelanced for a little bit and I kept coming back to finance and I have an MBA in finance, spent some time in corporate finance at Starbucks. And I was going to go out on my own. I'm like, this makes sense. This is what business owners need. I love working directly with CEOs of companies. Um, And so that's how it came to be. And what we do is we focus on businesses with unique, some sort of unique business model or complicated problems. So that could be hiring all part-time staff or hiring all international staff or their product is really unique or they have multiple types of products that don't necessarily go together. That's our sweet spot. Um, and we take businesses that are getting to a million or at a million and scaling. So really it's that unique business model plus scaling. That is our core focus. And so we provide two services, fractional CFO support, and then we also have management consulting um, strategy on the side. That would be a deeper an- amount of analysis, whether or not you have a CFO in-house. Awesome. Cool. And I, I'm on a personal note, what was it that drew you to finance? Like, what are you, where are you interested in finance in the first place? So finance, if you're in a business, it sees everything, right? So you get to, you have to know everything about the business. Which it's like sounds, Santa Claus. Yes. It sounds so <laughs> creepy. But it, for me, what clicked was like, you can't, we'd be working on strategy projects and it'd be like, but where are the numbers? Like, it doesn't make sense. If you're not going to tie your numbers to your strategy, you don't have a strategy. And so to me, it was like, Finance was this weird thing that I didn't quite understand. And then when I figured out all it was was business strategy, I was like, well, that makes total sense. All it is is figuring out your why. Uh, and um, and then it was like, okay, well, of course, this is what we're going to do. And this is how you can help businesses. Um, and then when I started doing consulting, I found that it was just like the, the biggest gap. So I never, I never saw myself long-term in, in finance. I kind of just like happened upon it. I was in finance adjacent roles. It fit. It made sense. And then I was like, oh, this doesn't, does it really feel right? But then when I started consulting, I'm like, yes, this is right. This is what people need. This makes sense for my brain. It's, but it really to me, it was the, it's strategy. And, and that was just the most exciting piece of it. I love, I love that. I love the strategic focus too, because I think a lot of times people, and I'm excited to get into this in this conversation, because I think it's 
it's not always that people think about there being like a financial strategy. It's more like, do we have money coming in? And then do like how much money is going out and is the money coming in more than the money going out? And on some level, I guess, you know, that is the essence of business, but there's so much more to it than that. So I think like, I'm, I'm really interested to hear, how do you think, um, well, first let me ask you this at what size business, at what level of business development would you say that it would be important for someone to start thinking about a CFO versus just having like an accountant or bookkeeper, that sort of thing? Depends on the kind of business, but really, I think you should think about a financial advisor, whether it's a formal CFO or just somebody who understands finance when you start. So accounting's backwards looking. It's really taking what's happened and putting it all in the right buckets. You should have that. But the the finance piece is like, you know, I think we're going to get into hiring. So it's like, well, how do I, how do I hire and then make, protect myself from my business? And how do I look forward? Those things are always necessary. Um, There's not a good starting point. We particularly work with businesses when they're right around that million because I found that if they're pre-revenue or before that mark, then our services are just too robust for what we provide. However, there's tons of businesses that are providing advisory services that are coming out that are trying to meet people that are below that um, mark that are just a lighter lift that are more just having that it's more like one-on-one coaching is how I think of it and it when you start yeah and so this is great this is beautiful and and before we get into kind of more of the specifics what kinds of questions would someone be going to a a CFO Mm -hmm. thinker like that financial coaching kind of part for their business what kinds of questions would they be going and trying to answer with the help of an expert in this way yeah it's uh, what do I do with the numbers that I've just been given from my accountant? Right. Cool. So, so we take what we take the situation, what we look at backwards, and then like now, what am I going to do? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I just got these pieces of inf- of paper that have numbers on them. I don't know what they mean. I, do I just do it for taxes? Right. Yeah. It's like there's so much more in depth that you can go. Um. One of the key things that I will look at if I I do a little on the coaching on the side for these smaller businesses and um, one of the key things we just start with is like, do you understand your profit and loss and can you take some piece of insight and then make a different decision next month based on that insight? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So doing something with our uh, with the insights that we're having, taking some kind of action and so um, I, maybe that's a good place for us to get uh, get specific here because I think I think the, the con- understanding the connection between like freedom and what freedom means on like a personal level as well as a business level is really useful. And since we're already talking about the PNL, you have a strong opinion on freedom in the PNL and how financial freedom for a business shows up in the PNL. So tell us a little bit about that. How does that look? Yeah, so I uh, I work with quite a few venture back startups. So let me start with those examples because I don't think they build freedom into their models, right? They're thinking long-term. They're thinking we're going to get bought. Mm-hmm. We'll get to profitability later, which profitability for those of you who are kind of new to finance, that's your bottom line. That's saying you're not negative after a certain period of time on the bottom line of your P&L, which is your net income. I personally am a big believer in like, let's focus on the bottom line first. What is that supposed to look like? Profit, right? Getting your revenue higher than your expenses. Exactly, exactly. So if you're, think about your personal finances, you want to spend, 
less than you make, right? That's the whole goal. The business is no different. So make $100,000, spend $90,000, start there. Just figure out what that is supposed to look like and then work backwards. Because if we if we don't do that, then the game is always figuring out some source of funding, and that's where these VC. <laughs> uh, we're not going to talk about the SVB yeah. thing that happened, but like that's where where a lot of times we're like kind of passing the the hot potato, so to speak, down the yes. down the path. And so your uh, invitation, it sounds like, is to folk, like start to c- conceive of what profitability looks like for your business right in the very beginning. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so I think when you're, it depends on the size of business, but let's just give an example. You're a business owner and your only goal is to provide for yourself and your family. Then you're, you're going to start with what's your owner's compensation? How much are you taking home? Start there and then work backwards from there. And what does the rest of the business need to look like in order for you to get paid what you want to get paid? Mm-hmm. You know, VC businesses are looking at what they're going to get paid in the future. So they're working towards that goal. Mm-hmm. You want to work if you want pure freedom to not go in this cycle of constantly fundraising or constantly having to just always be like marketing to just white knuckling that marketing and sales. Yeah. Working from, hey, is my product profitable? Right. Is the business profitable? Me- meaning the cost of delivering the, the product. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Can it cover the additional cost? So a lot of times businesses focus so much on their gross margin. So that's your revenue minus your cost of goods or your cost of sales mm-hmm. that they forget there, there's a whole other section of costs below that line, right? Taxes, so, insurance, licensure, all exactly, exactly. overhead, so, the power and all that stuff. Yeah. So um, I don't want to get into too technical financial details, but I love a good contribution margin analysis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have no idea what that is. So, what okay. is a contribution analysis? So, uh, it's seeking, um, it's slightly different than gross margin, but similar. I think they get confused. Okay, the difference meaning your contribution margin. What you're saying is what of your f- fixed costs. So, your your sorry, let me clarify. Your variable costs change with volume of sales, mm-hmm. and this is saying of those variable costs, what's left to cover your fixed costs. Like, let's take a simple example. So like if we're make, if we have a hot dog company, then yeah. our variable costs are going to be like every, the more hot dogs we sell, the more meat we need for inside the hot dogs. Exactly. Right. But our fixed costs might be the, the cost of power to run the machines or exactly. rent on the, the warehouse. That's going to stay the same every month. Yep, exactly. And so if you can, that's a good analysis to give you an insight. And there's, I won't get into this super technical. People can reach out to me and I will spend two hours talking about it. But um, there are ratios that will tell you like your business has the capability to be profitable. Yeah. Right. Versus, well, you are. It doesn't matter how much money you make. You're always going to be spending more than it costs you. Exactly. More than you're making to to make that money. Yeah, exactly. So if you can, if you're going to launch a product, you can start there. If you already have your product, you can go back and look at that. But then the idea of being like, well, what, what are your goals towards freedom? What does freedom look like for you? Figuring out where that fits. So it could be owner's compensation, could be net income. Yeah. But we're talking about the way that the owner is getting paid. So we're talking about like personal freedom. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And starting there. And now do you think of that as being the, the bottom line or do you factor that you factor that into the PL itself? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I would love to see a business where the owner and the the business owners, however many owners there are, 
are making what they want for their business and it's providing them personal freedom, right? Because then yeah. they're going to be relieved and then they're going to be able to invest in other businesses and provide more value. Totally. And, and then the economy spins and we love it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that bottom line. So the net income line mm -hmm. is also very, a big chunk of that revenue, right? So it depends on the type of business, but 10 to 30% is a really, really good net income. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And if you have both of those, you can kind of do whatever you want, right? Yeah, because your business is working at that point. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. So what I'm hearing you say is start with your personal finances and understand kind of your like budget is a, is a word, but like understand what it costs you to live the life that you live. And if, especially if you're starting a new business or really if you're the purpose of most people's businesses and I, I'm, you know, I don't want to get prescriptive, but like, really, this is the purpose of having a business in our lives is so that we can experience whatever kind of freedom we want to a business is a vehicle for doing that. And so the invitation here is to start with your personal finances and understand what your number for your, you, your family, the, however you want to invest that money in your reality, your own personal reality, start there and then build the business finances around that number. So would the first step, so once we find that number, the first step is to like work backwards, like from taxes and then. Uh, and then yes. kind of move up the line there and see like, all right, well, how much do we need to be spending in marketing in order to get that? We need to understand our model, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where someone like you would help, right? To figure out like, well, you know, our, how much does it cost us to make this? Are any of these expenses unnecessary? What, what's the minimum it costs us to make money in our business? How many, how does it, you know, we turn $1 into $5 or $10 or whatever in order to get to that bottom line. And that's the way that we would kind of think about this if we're, building yeah, a business exactly. for freedom. Yeah. So, um, I, uh, I'm a big fan of the book profit first. Okay, great. Which I feel like is controversial among fractional CFOs. Um, okay. More about that later. I just learned that. I didn't know. Oh, uh, but anyway, I think that that gives a, a pretty high level view of how you can back into those numbers and then you can kind of tweak it to your business specifically. So some industries are just a little different. Um, like I'm a professional services firm. I don't run a 30% operating expenses, but some, some businesses do most do. Okay. That's um, like a rule of thumb. Yeah. Generally. I mean, if you're spending a lot more than it depends, right? So it's just, uh, it varies quite a bit, but that's generally a rule. If you're under a certain amount, you can kind of expect this amount of operating expenses and it, the percentage goes down as you scale. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of those. And if you can figure that out for your industry and your, uh, revenue size, then you can kind of back into it. So you can basically just plug some numbers if you're good at Excel. And I'm sure there's people listening being like, that sounds really hard. Um, <laughs> well, that's they, why you want to talk to somebody like Natalie. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and you can say, great, my, I need to make $5,000 a month in income. So my revenue has to be $10,000 or $25,000 or whatever that Depending is. Depending on how much it costs you to make a dollar. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's just a really good starting point. And then the next thing is really looking at all your expenses and being scrappy it pays off, right? It builds freedom in my opinion, right? Yeah. It, it, you know that in personal finance, you spend less you have more to save and do the things that you want to do. There's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with spending money as right. long as you're doing it on the right things. Yeah. There's no difference in business. That, that's actually a question that I wanted to ask you is like, how do you think about the, the, ten, the dynamic tension that exists between, you know, ha building a business that's successful and what it means to then have more income? Mm-hmm. 
and then so what do we do with that so it's like the the tension between uh you know lifestyle and growth you might say or investment or whatever that looks like i mean savings is the lowest version of that but then like how do you think about the tension between lifestyle and i think we live in a really really cool time where you can be both and yeah right we have all this technology we have social media we've got all these things that allow you to market and sell in a very different way for sometimes very low effort. Yeah. In products that are global economy. Yeah. Really low effort. And I love that because you don't have to choose anymore to some degree. Right. Yeah. Um, I think when you really do get that tension, it's your personal choice of what does it mean for you? Is it does having a million dollar, top line revenue mean something to you personally or do you think the world needs you to have that mm, yeah and then and then same with your personal income what do you really what's your real goal is it to take a lot of vacations well you're probably not going to scale your business as quickly as somebody else who doesn't take vacations but mm-hmm. that's still amazing right i would love to be paid to travel <laughs> all over the world um, but not have to actually like interact with businesses. <laughs> but I am, cho- I'm making a different choice right now and then I'll get there later. So you have to, this is a personal tension for sure, but taking advantage of the time that we live and being a both and scenario is the best, right? I'd yeah. rather grow a business slowly. That's profitable. That's a little more conservative in its growth versus getting on the cover of Forbes because um, that, you know, I made all this fantastic growth, but I was miserable and really wasn't taking home as much pay. I think it would be, it's surprising how many business owners do not pay themselves market rate. Mm. And I think it's like, this is the whole goal of business, right? If you own the business, you should be taking dividends. You should be paying yourself. You should be building value in the marketplace and then taking those and reinvesting them into other businesses. Um, and, and, and it's, yeah, go philosophically, ahead. we're really aligned there. And I just want to like also hold space for like some people are here to play the money game that that's like, that's what they want to do. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. If that's the game that you want to play. And also there are other ways, there are other games that we can be playing in the world, like the vacation game or the, you know, the, the free time or even the balance game we can be playing. And, and it's going to kind of have a tension with the money game. Like someone like Warren Buffett is here to play the money game. And, you know, even well into being a multi, multi million dollar, he's like stopping for his, you know, egg McMuffin at, at, you know, at McDonald's for breakfast, you know, uh, so that he can use that money to invest in other things. So the point that I'm making here is like, decide on your purpose for business. And, and also it sounds like we're very philosophically aligned that the point of business is to support us while we're here (laughs) to to live a life that we want to live while we're here. Yes. Yeah. I love that. I love there. I, I think definitely holding space for the people that love that game because they, they find joy in it. That's yeah, awesome. totally. And I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> That's okay too. But I also support uh, high growth venture back startups, which is like counter to how I personally feel about running my business. But I love the balance, right? Because then I can say like, uh, are we tracking your net income? And do you need this expense? Right. Exactly. Um, And when you think about that particular aspect, I do think it's such, there is this tension between what does the outside world think of your business 
Mm. versus what's happening behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And then you start to get in the cost trap. You start to spend money on things that you don't need. Yeah, this is like the the business equivalent of keeping up with the Joneses. (laughs) Exactly, and it happens. And I think it especially happens. I I don't want to name any. I love my clients don't do this because I obviously personally watch this. But (laughs) um, it especially happens in the tech space because you have all these cool tech tools coming out. And then all of a sudden you're buying all this technology for your business because you want to seem like, oh, I've got the best tech. Mm. You really don't need those things, right? Like, yeah, you, you got to stop and think about it. Um, those costs add up faster than you would think. Yeah, this is um, one of my personal blind spots, actually, because I like tech. I love the tools, the tech tools. And so I'll like see a thing and I'll be like, oh, that could be a way for me to like support this function in my business. And I like, I love getting excited. I love the idea of automation and AI and all this stuff. And the, like you're saying, just with your, as, as with your personal accounts, right. you know, like the, the Netflix, the Hulu, the Disney plus, they can start to add up and they wind up taking a big chunk over time from your business. That's not going to some other piece of growth. There's always like going to be that um, risk reward sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Cool. I would, I would be doing our listeners a disservice if we didn't talk a little bit about hiring. Cause I think it's such a useful part of growing a business. And, um, so I'd love to hear from you. What are the financial considerations that you think are really important when we're talking about hiring, when we're thinking about hiring, when we're ready to, this is really relevant for me because we're like actually hiring right now in the business. So what do we, how do we think about hiring from a financial perspective? Yeah. Good. Uh, good question. What, uh, let's use a real example. What role are you hiring for in your business? We're hiring an online business manager. Okay. Yeah. Okay, great. So there's a couple, there's two things, right? If we think about, go back to the freedom mindset of hiring, mm-hmm. you all again need to know your goals, right? So either you're trying to alleviate your time mm-hmm. or someone's time. Yep. You might have a larger team, so it might not be directly the business owner's time. Mm-hmm. Um or you're trying to increase sales, ideally both, right? Mm -hmm. And so then thinking about where does that role fit and what directly are they going to impact in the business? Mm -hmm. So every hire should impact revenue to some degree, either seen or unseen, right? So a salesperson's gonna come in and they're gonna specifically drive revenue. Yep. But an online business manager is going to create automation for your business Yep. which is going to alleviate time, which is going to alleviate costs, which is going to increase your revenue. Yep. So getting really clear on those goals first is key. Like you just have to know that before you hire. Everybody makes mistakes. I've made like five in my business because I didn't know <laughs> what I wanted and then it wasn't the right thing. So you can't, I, I felt like when I started, I'm like, oh, I have to have this right, right away. So just know that hold space for that too. Like you're going to make mistakes. You're going to hire the wrong person. You're going to hire the wrong role. Mm-hmm. It happens. But knowing that goal first. And then the second thing from a financial consideration are the, the two things I would focus on are de-risking your business from that hire going south and having enough cash saved to cover payroll while those sales build up. Which is kind of uh, de-risking as well. Yeah. Or, yeah, or, it's all or so when you, so when you said dis- de-risking then, cause that was what I was thinking is like making sure that we have the reserves on hand. So what, when you're saying de-risking in what other yes. way would we be de-risking? Yeah. A good question. So I would say almost always, there's probably a few exceptions to this hire a 1099 to hire first. Okay. Yep. It's so de-risking. start as a contractor. Yes. 
Always serve the contractor for 90 days. Date someone before you marry them is another way to say that. (laughs) Um, I think that we live in a world where people are so used to getting offers with benefits and all this signing bonus and all this stuff right away, right? Mm -hmm. If you think corporate space, um, that's normal, but you don't have to do that. Yeah. So hiring as a contractor for 90 days and make it very clear that they're on a trial basis for 90 days and having very clear employment agreement. Mm Mm-hmm de-risks you financially from that going south in some other way besides the revenue piece. Yeah. And this, by the way, I think this is another really cool thing that, because when we're talking about the globalization of the economy, there's something really interesting that's happening as well in the world, which is that we're having fewer and fewer, like, I think there is a, it's slow, but there is a, there is a trend where we're moving less into the employee model and more into the 1099 contractor model, because it's like, it's worth taking on the responsibility of owning a business and your taxes in order to have the freedom to work with other clients and to be, to not have a cap on your income and all that stuff and to work from wherever you want to and set your own business up. Right. And so I think that there's something really interesting that we can find more and more people who are willing and desirous of actually being that 1099 role so that they can have that freedom in their business. Absolutely. I mean, again, that goes back to the both and and not in either or of that freedom in business. Um, So that's one thing that de-risks you from an HR perspective, from lawsuits, from you know, you ha- you messed up your employment agreement. They weren't in the right role. You can let go of them without any backlash, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a huge financial risk to a business is hiring the wrong person, firing them and getting sued. Right. Then the other piece, yeah, it's still, it's all de-risking. That's a lot of finance. But the yeah. other piece is just making sure you can cover that payroll for two months, I ideally. Mm-hmm. I think there's certain exceptions to that where a month makes sense because they're going to immediately trigger it. Like I think a lot of times new business owners are hiring a virtual assistant. I think you can do one month. Like you're going to hopefully get that back or know that that's coming or be able yeah. to do it. So there's, there's circumstances you can get away with one month. I think three is key. Yeah. Like I would prefer three. Okay. Um, and then I would, especially if it's a revenue generating role. So think a salesperson, mm-hmm. um, figuring out that compensation structure really clearly and then maybe having six months of pay, right? Because it Mm -hmm. might take them that long to train and understanding that training. Yeah. Some of those you just aren't going to know until you have a business that's been around for two to three years and you have a team of 15 or 20. And you have better, more established processes and you just understand your business a bit better. Yeah, exactly. And then there's business owners that are like a year in and have no clue what they're doing or making their first hire. That's when you want to be pretty conservative as well, and then be able to fire that person pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so what about, cause you, the hidden costs of hiring and turnover, I think is like something I'm really interested to hear your perspective on. What does it cost to two, two sides of this? What does it cost to do that, to turn over an employee? And then like, what is the cost of the business to not do that, to not turn over the employee and to have maybe an underperforming employee or even an employee where maybe the business's objectives have changed a little bit and we're still keeping them around, even though they're providing less to the bottom line, less impact to the bottom line. So yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's start with the turnover piece. So this is a little old data. I should probably go verify it. Um, But roughly it costs a business $40,000 to replace a salaried employee. So think of all the costs to like you're spending on interviews, you're spending training, um, you're spending, if you're paying a recruiting firm, it's going to be more than that, right? That's a huge upfront cost. Totally. That's expensive, right? Mm-hmm. So that's just 
do you do not want a $40,000 expense? I don't care how big your business is and you can afford it. It's just a big expense. Yeah. You don't want to pay that. And you don't see it. That's the hard thing is you don't, it doesn't show up anywhere. Right. It's just all this hidden cost of time. Right. Cause it's taking somebody's time and they are then yeah. not doing something else that they could be doing for the business yeah. to, to add to the bottom line. I like this example. It's going to sound a little out there, but um, there's a cost to meetings, right? So if you gave everybody in your business an hourly cost, whether they have one or not, mm -hmm. and then you have 10 people in a meeting for an hour and they all get paid $100 an hour, this is a really expensive meeting. Yeah. That's the same way you should think about that time spent returning over an employee. Yeah. And this, by the way, that thing that you just said is really useful for business owners to think of. And you can do it not just with your employees and breaking down like what is the cost of having this person do everything, whether or not they're an quote unquote hourly employee, but you can do that with everything. Like how much does it cost for us to, to buy this computer? And then like how much time do we get to use out of this computer? And what, like, what is the capacity of that resource and all that sort of thing? So this is where, again, a financial thinker is really useful <laughs> to, to have yeah. if you don't already have one in your business. Um, because figuring out like the, the actual granular costs of everything is how you figure out that profit number in the first place. But so, yeah. so go back to the, so we, that was the hidden costs of hiring and, and turnover. Yeah. yeah. Now, can we talk about the other side? Like what happens though, if we have an employee who is underperforming or um, maybe the business goals have shifted and we're no longer, well, what's the cost to keep somebody around? How do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's the cost of their salary and they're not driving revenue. Right. So yeah that that's at least one line in that cost structure. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're doing a little bit of time um, that they're helping, but you can immediately see that, right? You're just wasting that cost. You could either get a better person in there that's going to drive revenue or reduce time. Um, but then that's like opportunity cost is what we're talking about there. Like you could be spending that money to something else that could be making you more money. Exactly. And then the, the hidden cost would be, what if someone else is doing that job for you and they're not able to do their full-time job? because they're covering for someone else not doing their full-time job, right? right? So you're double paying a salary that's not like for two roles that aren't getting finished. That's huge. Yeah. Um, and well, then now, I that was a really interesting thing that you just said, actually, because the person is getting paid not just to cover that one, which might be obvious to the business owner, but they're also then not, it's the opportunity cost of their time. They're then not getting to do whatever it is that they're supposed, that they were hired to do in the first place, right? Right, right. Yeah. Um, I think there's a cost to the stress of whoever's managing the employee and knows they're not working, right? So think about how much you can't be productive when you're stressed out and anxious Ooh, that you, really that you might have to like deal with this thing. It's a huge cost, right? Like, yeah, we all know the feeling of like having something weighing on us that we're not able to perform on or that we have yeah. some responsibility that's not being able to met, be met. And then like, what's that cost in sleep alone? You know what I mean? Like worrying about it while you're trying to fall asleep. Right. I, in my business, I track time hours, right? I just, everybody that don't necessarily bill by the hour, but I track it because we're a professional services firm. So I can see that's one of my KPIs is like, how much are we spending per month on each client? And, um, but I'm a huge believer in tracking time, which is like not normal for most businesses if they're not in that mm -hmm. way, but you can actually then take that and say, well, I lost a day of work because I was stressed about this thing and then be like, oh my gosh, that's how much it costs me to be stressed out. <laughs> I love that. But... Like, I mean, I don't even want to do the math on that, right? It's too much, but you could. And it's worth looking at that because then you would never make that the same mistake again. You'd be like, I just have to make this decision and move on because it's costing too much money. I love that. And by the way, if you're listening to this and you believe that thing that she just said, which is that um, there is a literally a dollar amount cost of stress in your life, 
does that change the way that you think about building your business in the first place? Like, does that change the way that you like imagine the cost of building the same business, two different ways. One way has a lot of stress and one way has a lot less stress. Mm. What's the financial implication of something like that? If you believe that stress is going to have some kind of dollar cost on your, like that, that, that sleep cost, that time spent worrying and not thinking about solving some problem that you're solving in your business or creating some value in your business. Like what is the actual physical tangible cost of that? I think that's such an interesting calculation to just guess at, to think about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think the other piece of it too is when you're not firing that employee that isn't working, there's a reason they're not working. Mm. And you don't always have to fix the reason, but sometimes you're just holding that person back from something else in their life that they need to go to. Hallelujah. (laughs) I love that. That's like, this is like the example I always use is is if you're dating somebody and like you stick around, but the relationship is just like kind of meh in the first place. Neither of you are then getting to have that really fulfilling relationship that could be out there waiting for you that you're just holding yourself back from. Right. Right. And I I would argue if you gave me another 20 minutes to think about it, you could associate a dollar amount to that as well. (laughs) And see, this, by the way, is why you want to have somebody like Natalie on your team, because uh, because thinking of things and breaking them down into dollar costs. And if your brain doesn't work that way, like my brain doesn't work that way to have somebody on your team who can help you to think that way and to just understand the actual costs, both visible and invisible in your business, really, really, really useful for building that lifestyle of freedom, building your business to support you in feeling amazing in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Natalie, this has been such an amazing conversation. I'd love to have you back on someday because I think that there's just like so much to talk about around finance. Um, If people want to get a hold of you and they are, they're ready to scale their business or they are like, um, it sounds like there might be an opportunity for some consulting that would probably be on a case by case basis. Um, how do they get a hold of you? Where can they find you? Yeah, you can email me directly at Natalie at Copper Eight Strategies. Uh, and that's Copper, the number eight. Yes. Uh, yep, strategies. Yes, correct. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Natalie Cook. Um, I'm on Instagram at Finance Fight Club. Um, right which is a whole other thing we can oh, have. Oh, yeah. Tell us, tell us about Finance Fight Club, actually. Just give us a quick promo for it, yeah. would you? Okay. So it's a blog. Um, we'll eventually create some content that is usable. We have a few freebies. But it is for business owners that are new to finance and trying to just, like, simplify it. So my goal is that you can read this blog. You can get a little takeaway. And you just start thinking through, like, maybe attaching that number value to time. Or what is this thing simplified? Um I know I wrote a whole blog post on like how you can making homemade pickles to me changed my mindset about running a business. Okay. So there's like little things in there and I'm trying to really meet that market of like, let's simplify finance and not make it scary. Love that. I love that. So go check out, uh, finance fight club. Uh, mm-hmm. you can find it on the copper eight strategies website. We'll put the links to those in the show notes. Um, Natalie, thank you so much for having this conversation. It was amazing. This was a super fun conversation. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for all you listening out there, live your freedom, love your life. Thanks so much for listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast. If you want to get the most out of your time here, think about this. What's the one thing from this episode that resonated the most for you? Asking that simple question can help anchor in your insights and remember who you want to be. 
If there was even a single thought in today's episode that helps you to become even 1% more free, then we are thrilled. If so, would you do us a favor? We're on a mission to spread the message of freedom and we could use your help. See, the algorithms love it when we get reviews, shares, comments, and likes, and then that helps other people like you to find the podcast and just maybe change their lives. So if you like what we're doing and you want to generate some positive karma for the day, please write us a review wherever you get your podcast love. See you next week. And in the meantime, live your freedom and love your life.